Hey, stranger, you're listening to Tell Good Stories. My name is Johnny Meyer, and I live in Embudo, New Mexico, and I uh, own and operate what I call the Classical Gas Museum. I am El Queso Grande, El Jefe, the boss and curator. As a quick aside, in case you haven't heard of it, I just got to explain the Classical Gas Museum. Okay, so the museum is a roadside gem. Drivers on Highway 68 passing through the Carson National Forest, just north of Santa Fe, which was me a little less than a year ago, can pull over and admire a dozen old gas pumps, antique signs for Philip 66 and the like, a real Bob's Big Boy statue, classic cars and car parts, and a sign outside front that says, Eat Mo Moon Pies. Johnny retired from work as a scientist at the National Labs in Los Alamos, and now runs the museum full-time. The museum's moving to a more permanent location soon, but you can look that up on Google. Anyway, back to the story. You know, this is a story about myself and a woman named Judith and her daughter named Sydney. How did you meet Judith? Online. (laughs) She found me. I had a... I had a profile up on a dating site, and she found me, and uh, and uh, she she was an amazing woman, and I was very attracted to her. And at the time that we sort of became a family of sorts was about four years ago, and at the time, Sydney uh, was just turning 13 and getting ready. She just graduated from eighth grade and getting ready to go to high school. So we were kind of, um, you know, just living together, you know, being a family of sorts and getting to know each other, basically. And, uh, you know, Sydney was kind of apprehensive about me. Um, It's kind of a funny thing because her mom had been kind of a serial uh, relationship person, and Sydney had seen guys come and go, like, frequently. And so she was a little reluctant to, you know, get too attached. And, uh, you know, that's that was okay. I mean, that was, you know, understandable. So anyway, we spent time sort of getting to know each other, essentially. But that process got cut short. And um, as it turned out, about eight months after she moved in, um, she was diagnosed, uh, uh, Judith, Sydney's mother, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And by the time she was diagnosed, she was already fourth, state, fourth stage. And so that meant essentially it was terminal. And um, But, you know, we all wanted to, you know, try all the treatments, you know, that were available but none of them worked, and um, and she was taken very suddenly. She was gone in less than four months. And Sydney and I kind of, you know, watched the progression of it, and there was nothing we could do except try to provide, you know, her mom comfort. And then it reached a point where um, Sydney's mom. Um, was hospitalized. She had just um, really was unable to take care of herself, and 
she was checked into a hospital. And then I got a call about four days later, and essentially the call said, you know, if you want to, you know, say goodbye, you better come this morning. And uh, so I, you know, I took Sydney out of school, and we went to the hospital. And it was, um, you know, I, Sydney was prepared. I told her what was happening. And she's she's 13. And so we arrived at the hospital, and her mom was laying there in bed, and she was, you know, um, sedated. And within 15 minutes while we were there, kind of just being with her, she took her last breath. Sydney and I were there um, sitting beside her when her mom took her last breath. And when her mom took her last breath, it kind of took our last breaths away, too, me and Sydney. And it hurt really bad. And I remember we both went to the window of the hospital and just looked outside. It was raining that day. And it was just a, a profound tragedy, a profound hurt. And... um we left the hospital that day and drove home and knew everything was going to be different. So I think at that point is when, um, um, you know, we had to look at the future. And the thing with Sydney was that her mom had no brothers and sisters. Her mom's parents were both deceased. And Sydney's father had divorced her mom when Sydney was about four years old, and Sydney's father had moved to Sweden, and they really, you know, there was really no connection there. So the the reality was there was there was no uh, there was no place for Sydney to go. There was just me, and um, that was kind of shocking to me that you know. I had to step up and say, you know, it's, you know, this is what I need to do. And so um, I decided to be her legal guardian and try to be a father to her. And um, so Sydney started, you know, started ninth grade, and now it's been four years since Sydney's ready to graduate and um, so these four years has been the most wonderful thing for me because I was able to be there and be part of her seeing her evolve from a 13 year old girl to an independent and confident woman and during that four years, she became the best friend I ever had. And we, you know, and what grew out of that was a really profound love for each other. She tells me she loves me every day, unsolicited. She just says it every day, sometimes several times a day. And it just knocks me over, you know, that that sort of thing exists in my life right now. And uh, when I sort of think about what has happened, 
I realized that everything in my life that happened before this thing, before her mother's death, was really insignificant. <clears throat> that my life became significant when Sydney entered into it. And so um, I didn't know that I had the ability to be what she needed and to give her what she needed. And uh, I didn't realize um, that, you know, she was going to be able to give me so much also. I mean, we had a lot to give to each other, and and we did give to each other. And um, in taking care of her, it's really clear that she brought out the best in me. Um, she She inspired the greater good in me. She taught me how to how to give love and express love and and to you know be a better man and i'll tell you this as um i was <laughs> in, in in a lot of ways i was um like my father um in behavior in the sense that and, and it's true of every one of my father's generation in the sense that they were not very affectionate, and they did not really – I don't know if my father ever told me that he loved me, you know. Not that I needed that, but it wasn't there. And I can't recall my father being that affectionate to me. In fact, I don't think I have any recollection of that, you know. It was just – he was a leader and I was a follower, <laughs> the way it kind of was. And – uh that was imprinted on me, and uh, I think through a lot of my adult male life, um, I was not prone to show affection. I was not prone to kind of um, um, express love, I guess I would say. Um, I was kind of kind of tightly bound, you know, thinking to myself that, that's the way men are, you know, we're not that emotional creatures, you know, we're not that, <clears throat> we're not that way. And uh, I, as I said, I lived most of my adult life like that. And um, I think what happened with Sydney is it was just, it just changed. She was so open to me about, you know, expressing affection and love and caring that uh, it made me look at myself and say, you know, I feel the same way she does, and I need to let her know that, especially under the circumstances. I need to kind of reveal myself, which I hadn't done kind of in most of my adult male life. So I think I learned how to... Um, <laughs> be more human, I guess is, I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but to be more um, more caring, more sensitive, more giving, more loving, uh, more affectionate, all those things. That's what she gave to me, the ability to allow that side of myself to be revealed. A little later on in our conversation, 
Johnny and I ended up talking about religion uh, and politics, too, because why not cover all of the topics <laughs> that make people uncomfortable? And he made this comment. Anyway. <laughs> Here's my two cents. I want to hear it. Okay. Um, I have just – let me see. What's the right way to say this? Um, it is – I am not able to fathom eternal damnation. Now, I look at myself, you know, as a father-parent-type person. I look at Sydney. There is nothing that she could do that I would condemn her to eternal damnation. Nothing. She could she could shoot me in the heart and I still wouldn't want I still would not wish eternal damnation on her. So although the our relationship started in this very tragic moment of her mother's death, um here we are today and we're too um we're full of joy. Um that that's what I can say. We're both just full of joy and both optimistic and both looking forward and you know, me, I she's getting ready to enter college and it's just gonna be a really wonderful thing to see where her life goes. And she's as I said, she's confident now, she's independent and she's would really make her mom proud if her mom was still here. So that's the that's the profound good that came from a profound tragedy. <clears throat> profound good indeed. In one of his emails to me setting up the interview, Johnny wrote, Sydney is my amazing grace. Special thanks to Johnny Meyer for sharing his story. I know this episode isn't from the Midwest or the South, but I included it because it's really the first story that I recorded from a stranger. And it's the reason I decided to buckle down and, and actually do this project in a serious way. So in many ways, it's the start of the project. Living life, much less doing good in the world, is a lot harder without our people. And in that spirit, I'm going to take 20 seconds at the end of every episode to thank somebody who helped me make the episode you just heard possible. It'll be like credits, but my sponsors are humans, not companies or nonprofits. So I guess I'm calling it people credits? Is that weird? I'm going to call it people credits. Let's just, we're, we're going to go with it, you guys. It's people credits. <clears throat> this episode of Tell Good Stories was made possible by Barbara of San Jose, California. Barbara is especially important to the existence of this podcast because she gave birth to me. No birth, no podcast. It's pretty simple. <laughs> Since birth, she's been my constant cheerleader and compass and gave me my love of storytelling. Thanks, Mama. And finally, words are power and wisdom is everywhere. So I think I want to end each episode with something that I'm tentatively calling everywhere wisdom. Everywhere wisdom includes surprisingly deep ideas and phrases and words of power that are hidden in plain sight. So for this week, I found wisdom in the words of two modern philosophers. First, a quote from modern philosopher Bastille, who poses the critical question, 
how am I going to be an optimist about this? Honestly, you guys, I'm asking myself a lot these days. Um, our second quote is from modern philosopher Rin Weaver. Keep calling me crazy, because I never learned. You should stop loving fire, because you got burned. Okay, that's it, y'all. Reach out to me at admin at tellgoodstories.com or on Instagram at tellgoodstories. Welcome and happy listening. <laughs>